God bless you. Great to see everybody here today. As I said, remember those that are traveling today. We've got lots of folks. I tell you what, I'm just so moved by, uh, I was talking to Jenny and, and uh, Blake a moment ago, their daughter that uh, came home Wednesday night and uh, gave her life to Jesus and uh, after the VBS. And I just praise the Lord for, for uh, mamas and daddies, too, that will continue that work. And that's what we have to do. So I praise the Lord for you guys and for your daughter's decision to uh, follow Christ. Amen. Y'all give the Lord a hand for that. Amen. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Proverbs chapter 18. We're going to read one verse today, verse 12. And I'm going to just kind of continue in our series that we started last week on our Mission Sunday on perspective. Because as I survey my own life, I look back over the most difficult, most traumatic, most trying, most frustrating, broken times in my life. And I can truly say today, looking back, that those were the most refining, most spiritual growing times in my life. Can anybody understand what I'm saying there? But, but watch this. As I look at it today in retrospect, as I look back, having been through it, I can now see what God was doing through those situations. In fact, aren't we all that way? As we look at our life, we can go back to places, lands in the sand, if you will, that God truly performed some of his greatest work and, and, and refining of our life. In fact, if you look into the refiner's fire, it's in the refiner's fire that the impurities are burned out of the silver. The silversmith knows that as those impurities rise to the top, he would take and skim off the impurities. And then he knows when it's ready, when the refiner, watch this, when he looks into the silver and he sees his own reflection and you know what you and I are the same way that the Holy Spirit of God as he's refining our life he's he's skimming off if you will the rough edges he's taking off the impurities listen God is not allowing you hear me church this is for somebody today God is not allowing you to go through some of these most difficult times in your life just so he can watch you squirm and go through difficult times so that maybe you'll cry out to him. No, no, no. He's trying to make you and mold you in his image. And only when, watch this, only when he looks into your life and sees his own reflection are you then and only then are you ready to do the fullness of what God wants to do in your life. But don't we resist it? Don't we push away from the difficulties? In fact, I'd be so bold today that, to, to say today that any time we get in difficulty, what's the first thing we do? God, take this from me. God, remove this situation. God, heal this moment. When in fact, what if, what if we would speak life, watch this, in the time. Because again, we can all sit here today looking back, whether it be our childhood, whether it be the loss of a loved one, whether it be a relational, a relational fall, whether it be a financial breakdown, whatever it may be. We can look back in our life if we're a Christian and we can say it was in those moments that I truly pursued God with my whole heart. Maybe I cried out a little louder than I did when things were going really smooth. I can take you to a place in my life where the most difficult of my entire life and say that it was in that moment, now looking back, that God truly spoke life into my heart. He truly raised me up. As Psalms 3 said, he's the lifter of our head. He raises us up. Why? So we can see things differently than when we went into that situation. In fact, here's the, here's the difficulty in that as a church member, as a child of the Most High God. When we look into situations, we give the enemy way too much credit for the difficulties in our life. Because here's what we do. 
when we're going through difficulty, we look back, or, or maybe we're in the moment, we say, well, Satan is doing this, or the enemy's really attacking me. Can I tell you something? The enemy has no power over your life, in good or bad or otherwise, other than that which you give him. And when we speak the life of the enemy into our home, man, Satan's really got my kids. Man, Satan's got a hold of my marriage. You are literally handing him over the keys to your marriage, to your children, and to your life. What if, what if we would speak life even in the complete chaos of our situations? What would happen? I submit to you that our perspective would change, but I believe it would move heaven and earth. Because you look at Paul and Silas, for example, in the midnight hour. The midnight hour in Scripture always represents the most difficult, the middle of the darkest of darkest hours. But watch this. It was in not them coming out of prison that they praised him. Oh, no, no, no. They sang in the middle of being shackled to the wall in a prison, in the inner prison, if you will, which once again implies that they're not only in the darkest hour, they're in the deepest of prisons. They're in the worst of worst. Yet what did they do? They praised him. And not only did their shackles fall, but watch this. Even the prison keepers and his whole family got saved. You see, we got to take hold of the words that come out of our mouth. Proverbs 18 and 12 says that there's life and death in the power of our tongue. Do you really understand what that means today? That the words that we speak, not only, watch this, not only over our own circumstances, but the words that we speak over the air. You say, Mark, why do you, why do you say that? It hit me a couple of weeks ago as I was studying the scriptures. Ephesians says that Satan, the enemy, is the prince of the power of the air. Have you ever thought about that? That watch this, here in this world, he has limited reign. We see that in Job chapter 1 where God asked him, where have you been? What have you been doing? And he didn't ask him that because he didn't know. He asked him that because he's trying to, once again, maybe daily show him that he is subservient to the authority of God. That he can only go where God has allowed him to go. But get this, guys. God has given him, in God's sovereignty, he has given the enemy power over the air that you and I are in and in fact there's a lot of misunderstanding in the revelation where it says that that the the heavens will be purged there'll be a new heaven and a new earth let me tell you something guys that's not talking about the abode of God that will never need cleansing he's talking about the heavenlies the air that you and I live in Mark why do you say all that here's why I say that because if the air is his abode and it's his realm when you and I speak things of negativity in the air watch this I believe that the enemy and and the forces of evil gather them up as collateral to turn around and use them against you guys we got to be careful the words that we speak and to change our perspective I'm going to give you three areas this morning real quickly that I believe we specifically need to change our perspective in the context of speaking life. Number one, we need to speak life over our difficult circumstances. I want to tell you today, if you've not heard this, as a child of God, difficult circumstances are inevitable. Difficult circumstances will come into your life. Mark, why do you say that? Because I believe that there is somewhat of a misnomer in the church today. I I, I see this a lot, especially among televangelists. Not to call any of their names. Only God knows their heart, and that's not for me to police up. But let me say this. If we think 
that by being a child of God, that we're always going to have a front place at the line at the supermarket, or that when we pull into Wally World, that somebody's going to say, hey, here comes Mark. He's a preacher at Northridge. And they pull out, let me in. In fact, the truth be told, they'll pull in and hit my car. That you're going to get the front row at every event you go to, or that you're going to have all the, let me tell you something. The truth is, it's, it's a paradox being a child of God because here's what the Bible tells me. You want to be first in heaven? Then get to the back of the line, child of God. You want to be great? Then make yourself nothing. You want to live? Then die to yourself. And see, Proverbs 18, 12 says it this way. The tongue can bring forth death and life. Watch this. Those who love to talk. Well, we could stand on that all day, couldn't we? In the day that we live in, I almost want to say, those who love to talk and post things on Facebook, but we're not going to do that. Those who love to talk, watch this, will reap the consequences. Mark, what a warning that is. You may see it that way, but I happen to see it as a promise. Because it's just like the sowing and reaping principle, Kyle. We look at that and think, man, what a terrible warning that is. That a man, don't be deceived. But whatsoever a man sows, that shall he also reap. And we go, man, I'm going to be reaping a whirlwind of chaos. No, no, no. That's a promise for you today that if you sow good seed, you're going to reap good fruit. And watch this. If I'm going to reap the circumstances of what I speak, then watch this. If I speak life, what am I going to reap? Say it with me. I'm going to reap what? Life. Look to your neighbor and say, he said life. Matter of fact, look to your neighbor right now. Some of y'all look like y'all have been sucking on a lemon this morning. So look to your neighbor and say, man, I prayed all week I would sit next to you. Go ahead and do that. Now look to your second choice and say, I'm glad you're here too. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, speaking life over our circumstances, says this. Rejoice always. Everybody say always. Pray without ceasing. Watch this. Give thanks in all circumstances. Let me read that again. Rejoice always. Not just sometimes. Not when things are going great. Not when all the kids are sitting around the table. No, no, no. When everything is going slap, crazy, chaos ensues. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. And watch this. And give thanks in all circumstances. When was the last time you just got on your knees and said, Lord, I thank you for putting me in a business and a company. Where I work with the most incredible jack wagon the world has ever seen. You don't do that, do you? Here's what we do. Lord, I'm going to work today. And that man that really bothers me each day, I pray God, you just trip him up in the name of Jesus. You know, that's what we do. But what if you spoke life over your circumstances, giving thanks always? Here's what I believe to be true. The rest of that verse gives me the hope for the this is the will of God in Christ Jesus in you. What is God's will for my life, Mark? He just told me right there. Rejoice always, giving thanks in all circumstances. Pray without ceasing. That's the will of God for each of our lives. He just said that in Christ Jesus. Why? Because if I can only, hear me, if I can only praise him and I can only give him honor and glory when the things are going great in my life, you and I are no different than the heathens of this world. But when somebody sees you, and oh, they're watching. They're watching you. They're watching you in the supermarket. They're watching how do you react at the bank when they give you back the wrong change. They're watching you uh, walking down the road. They're watching you on Facebook. Oh, yeah, yeah, you're being watched. And the things that people see in us 
is oftentimes the precursor, the foundation on whether or not they want to get in to the church or whether they say, what's the point? You're no different than I am. You see, we got to be careful. In fact, I jotted down. It's easy to speak harshly and negatively in tough circumstances and to complain about the situation that we're in. But it takes intentionality to thank God even for the toughest days. Because here's why. If I believe Psalm 139 for 22 solid verses speaks of the sovereignty of God. You've heard me say it many, many times if you've been with us. If I sit down, he's there. If I stand up, he's there. If I go into the grave, he's there. If I speak, he knows the words before they come off of my mouth. He knows my heart. He knows my thoughts. He knows everything about me. Yet he says to the psalmist in 23 of 139, search me, O God. Know my heart. Try me. See if there be any wickedness in me and lead me in the way you're everlasting. Now, what's the point of that? The point is what? If he knows everything about me, and how many of you believe he's in control of all things? That government is not in control. Washington is not in control. Who is elected in 2016, 17 is not the one that's going to change the world. Oh, no, no, no. It's the one who created it all. It's the one who redeemed us all. It's the one in in who we place our hope. There is no hope outside of Jesus Christ. But watch this. If I believe that he knows it all, controls it all, Colossians 1.16 says, For by him were all things created in heaven and earth, visible, invisible, thrones, dominions, powers, and principalities. All things were created by him, and watch this, and for him, and in verse 17, and by him all things consist or are held together. And if I know that, then watch this. When I get into a place where literally all hell is broken loose in my home, can I say, God, I give you honor. God, I give you praise. If I tell you this, is there's nothing else you hear today, please hear this. When you learn how to praise God and speak life in your circumstances that are contrary to where you want to be, you will begin to change the world. That wasn't a typo. You can change the world because as the world is watching you, they see you when you leave to love, lose a loved one. Give him praise. See, when I, when I, when I lost my father, I, I prayed the night before my dad died that God would. Now this may hit some of you really, really weird, but just know this is my heart. I prayed for God to heal my father. I prayed fervently, effectually. I prayed on my face. I fasted. I agreed with my family. But I knew when God had told me that he was going to heal him. But he was going to heal him by giving him a new body and a new hope. And he would be like Jesus. When I knew that, I prayed. And in, in, well, I'm not tell you where I was. That would be weird. But I was praying in the bathroom. And I was praying and asking God. God, if it's your will and I'll accept that, I praise you because I know that I'm going to see my daddy again. I know that this is not an end with a battle of cancer. Oh, no, no, no. This is the beginning of a new life and a new hope and a new body. And watch this. When I see him, he will be known as he was known. I will see him in a new hope and a new body. He's he's probably there cooking uh, strychnine right now. I guarantee you he is. How many of y'all don't know what strychnine is? Tell your mama, you do not know. How many of y'all do not know what strychnine is? Just add salt to your ham and roll on. It's the same thing. <laughs> when things happen, circumstances come, speak life. Number two, 
Speak life over difficult times. John 16 and 33. And I think we're going to throw it up there. He said this. John said, I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. But in the world you may have tribulation. But take heart, for I have overcome the world. <laughs> Do you see the times that we're in? We were talking about that this morning. I, I, I watch Fox News. I, I watch the news every morning and every evening. I, I don't really know why I do that to myself, but I do. And I hear what's going on. And I see the difficulty that this world is in. I see the decisions that are being made that are contrary. Watch this. That are contrary not to some partisan, but to the Word of God. I see that happening. And I hear the voices of men like Alan West who just say it like they mean it, and, and speak what is out there. And, and I look at all of these things that are happening, and, so, and I just kind of shuffle them around, and I realize, watch this. I, here's what I don't do. Here's what you can't do. Don't look at, man, the world's going to hell in a handbasket. Oh, man, we're in for a mess. Or the next thing it's going to do is they're going to sue the church for this. Or the next thing. Let me tell you something. You are speaking life over the spiritual of this world, and you are opening up a gate for the enemy to come in and use the words. The Bible says in eighteen twelve of Proverbs, you have power in the life, I mean life and death in the power of your tongue. Or I can sit back and do this. In difficult situations, here's what I'm saying. Here's what I want you to say. Oh God, here's what I believe you're doing. I believe you're preparing your bride for a great wedding feast. I believe you're getting ready to call your church home. I believe that it's coming. The time is short. And I know a lot of people get nervous about that. Oh, but God, I'm not nervous. Even so, come Lord Jesus. I'm not worried at all. But here's what I want to say further. Until he comes, watch this. Until he comes back, maybe, just maybe, God is allowing these difficult situations to enter into our world so that he is laying a platform, a foundation for the church to take a step up and say, now I can shine my light. It's never been darker than it is now. But I submit to you that it's in the darkest of rooms that one strike of a match ignites a light that illuminates. It can be seen for miles away. Let your light so shine among men. Here's the life. Thank you, Jesus, for allowing these decisions to be made because I'm going to shine my light. It's easy for us to stand up and debate. That's not what God has called me to do. He's not calling me to debate issues and try to, quote, unquote, put people in their place according to this word. Hey, I get that sometimes that comes out because we're human. You know what God's called me to do? When I see sin in the world, it's not my job to police up your faith. It's my job to love you as Christ loved me. It's my job to speak life, to speak truth, to be a hope for a hopeless nation. Oh, Mark, can you do that? Can I do that? Oh, absolutely we can. Because he says, take heart, for I have overcome the world. And let me tell you today, church, you may not know this as the band comes. Listen, you may not know this, but the same power that operated in Christ Jesus for some 33 and a half years is the same power that has been deposited in my and your life. And he, Jesus said this. Jesus says, greater works will you do in my name. So when I step into that and assume the great power, the dynamite, 
power that flows into me through the Holy Spirit. Oh yeah, I can walk above my circumstances and I can speak life even in the most difficult of situations. And oh then there's the third one. And I save the third one which is the best for last. We need to speak life over difficult people. Not only in difficult circumstances and difficult situations, times, but also we need to speak life over difficult people. To put that in perspective, I want to share with you a story. 1951, a man named Jim Elliott and a guy named Nate Banks got together and decided that they were going to go into the Ecuadorian forest. And that they were going to, having done some research, uh, Jim went to Wheaton College in Illinois, a Christian college. And that they were going to gather together and that they were going to join their families and their forces. They were going to shut it all down. They were going to raise up and they were going to go to Ecuador in the center core of the Ecuadorian forest. And they were going to go and reach and preach and love on the worst of the worst unreached people group in the world at that time. People who lived... By the end of their spear. You might have seen the movie that came out several years ago entitled that very thing, End of the Spear. But Jim and, El- and, and Nate, Nate was the pilot. They gathered their family together. They built makeshift huts. But it wasn't just the fact that they were going. It's what they said before they went. Jim prayed a prayer. His wife, Elizabeth, before she passed away, shared this at many of her speaking engagements. And she said, Jim prayed over and over again, out loud for our children, for my family, for the church to hear. He says, God, that you not give me a long life, but you give me a life that's full of you, one of quality, one that, watch this, changes the world. He didn't ask for long days. Well, isn't that crazy? Why didn't he ask for long days? Because he knew that just like as our Savior, it might not take 80 years to do what God had called him to do. Just let, let me be a willing vessel. They gathered together. Nate took his bush plane in and they began to correspond with the Wadani people. They lived based upon fear, darkness. They lived upon revenge. That if you kill one of my people with a spear, we will not stop at anything till we kill one of yours. And Jim and Nate, Jim primarily, which was the catalyst, if you will, behind most of the work. He said, we've got to connect to these people or they're going to die by the spear and they're going to go to hell. It mattered to him that these people with no name... Big ear bobs and spears running through the woods, just completely primitive in all aspects of the word. And the question came out in the States before they went over, said, what will you do if they attack you? (laughs) Jim said, we'll love them. We'll love them to the very point of death. Before they... Flew out, it took them two two years or so in in the country learning the language and learning some of the cultural differences, and they were vast. At one point, they learned Nate was a pretty incredible pilot, a small, very lightweight aircraft, and they would fly in these circles, and the centrifugal force would enable the rope below it to only turn at a very small radius. And they would lower down gifts and 
Maybe the Wadani people thought it was a God. They, they didn't know, and they would receive the gifts. This went on for weeks, maybe months. Finally, they began to fly over some of the river basin area, and they said, there's a, there's a sandbar that we can land on. We, we can do it. So on January the 3rd, these five men flew into this small sandbar and made face-to-face engagement with these people, these primitive warriors. Took pictures, engaged them with gifts and food, and even took one of them up in the plane. But before they left, their wives knew that in the aircraft they had a pistol. And it was just kind of always an underwritten, underlying issue that they just knew. Elizabeth shared later. She said, I just knew that if it came to life and death, that they would have to, that they would have to use that gun to come back to us. Jim was 28 years old. Sunday morning, January the 8th, 1956. While they were standing on that sandbar, even taking off some of their clothes to try to be to some degree like they were. Jim went over to Nate, and this was written in some of the stuff and some of their uh, journals and said, I want you guys to promise me. I want you to promise me, he said, that if they come out with spears at any point, you will not touch that gun. Because if we die, we know we're going to heaven. But if we defend ourselves against their spears, they're going to die and they're going to go to hell. He spoke life. He turned hate into love. He turned hopelessness into hope. He turned death into life. And that morning they came out, spears drawn, and did exactly what their worst fear was. And they began to spear these missionaries who had given their life, who had given their time, who had given their hope, who had traded in their family, and put all things aside to simply speak life over a completely no-hope, unreached people group. Some of the writers says that They saw Nate go back to the plane when they speared Jim first. There was images of pictures that had been taken and they saw him in one of the images over at the plane. They don't know if he was trying to answer uh, a call from the base camp or what. But what if, just what if, what if he went to get that gun as he saw his brothers being killed brutally the people that they were trying to reach but we do know that even if that were the case that he could have taken matters into his own hand and killed those men to defend himself rightfully so we would all do that maybe because he had spoke it and God the Holy Spirit the angelic realm come alongside of them and gave them some kind of unction because of what they had spoken for so many days prior that we know going into this we are willing to give our life that not just we're speaking life but we're trading our life for theirs so that day he didn't pull out the gun and all five of them were killed on that beach on January the 8th 1956 and you know if if you read the story and you stop there it's like man that's pretty that's pretty stupid it's pretty ridiculous. 
until you find out that Jim's sister and Nate's son went back in with other family members to live with those people after they killed their family. To go back in and to say, we still love you. One guy, one of the family members went and went on an exhibition and they had guns and everything and they actually caught one of the guys and he put his arms around him. And at that moment, maybe he said, maybe because they had spoken it so many times in that jungle before, he said, all I could do is say, I love you. That is what changes the world. It kind of puts in perspective where those Wadani people would be had they not given their life today they're a completely reached people group they have a school they have churches those natives have risen up and they've gone to reach other people the man who actually killed Nate is now the quote unquote grandfather of Nate's son he took that role as father Guys, what are we doing? We get in tough circumstances and, man, we throw in the towel. God, you're not around. God, you gave up on me. God, you're not listening. Tough times come in the world and we just start giving the enemy all this credit and say, man, everything's just falling. Man, Obama's got this. and Obama. I mean, we start giving all these, these credits to all these things. What if? Just what if? Paul was right and he said, in the last days, perilous times will come. Men will be lover of selves, heaping up unto themselves all of these things, adultery and all of the natural uses of affection and, 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 and they'll be having itching ears, want to go to churches where pastors and people will tell them what they want to hear. Let me tell you something. It doesn't matter what you want to hear. It doesn't matter what I want to say. What matters is what this book says. And, and the hope that we have in this world is that we have but one opportunity to speak life. And here's the last thing, and I'll close with this. God created you with a purpose fearfully, wonderfully made you, intimately wove you together in your mother's womb. He creates the air that we breathe, the oxygen that, that flows through our vessels. It's done through the lungs of our body that he made and he knew about. And watch this. If you don't think that's enough, the Bible says you have been bought with a price. You're not even your own. So let the words you speak be the words that bring life the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in thy sight oh God you're not in a bad day you're not in a bad time and you're not in a bad situation because God's mad at you you might be entering into those things because God believes that you have something in you that can change the world I'm going to ask you to bow your heads with me every head bowed and every eye closed do you know Jesus today as your Lord and as your Savior? If you don't, let right now be the moment. Let right this second be the second that you give your life to Jesus. He died for you. He pursued you with his love. Mark, I can't be saved. I've done so many bad things. It doesn't matter. He died for that. Pray with me right now. From your heart to God, whosoever, he says, shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Would you pray with me right now from your heart to, heart to God in faith? Pray this. Say, Father in heaven, I believe in Jesus Christ and that Jesus died on a cross for my sin. Today, Jesus, 
I admit to you that I'm a sinner. That I have failed you. I ask you to forgive me for all of my sin. Sin of yesterday, sin of today. And even sins I've yet to commit because I know I'll fail you tomorrow. But God, today, I ask you to save me. To be the Lord over my life. Help me to live for you until the day that I die. If you prayed that prayer in faith, the Bible says you've been born again. I wonder right now, right this second, without any personal debate, without any thought, without any fear, there's nothing to be afraid of. You just made the greatest decision of your life. But if you pray today and ask Jesus in your heart, right here, right now, without any thought, I want you right now to just raise your hand. Raise it up high. Raise it up high. Say, I pray. God bless you, sir. Anybody else? God bless you. Anyone else? Hold it up. Just say, hey, I prayed. God bless you, little one. Anyone else? I prayed. And I asked Jesus into my heart today. Well, here's what I want you to do. I'm going to ask Ben to stand down front. Stephanie over there. Chad. If you prayed today and asked Jesus Christ into your heart, you don't have to join anything, though the doors of our church stand wide open. If God's calling you to be here as your family, we'd love to have you. But if you just prayed and asked Jesus in your heart today, all I want you to do right now without debate, every head bowed and every eye closed, I just want you to step out of your seat and let one of these guys or gals pray with you. That's all. Because it's taking one step for him in here that you may be able to take many steps for him out there. It might be this place, this moment, this right now that's going to change your life as a husband, as a father. As a man of God, a woman of God, a child. So right now, when I count to three, I don't want you to think about it. I want you to come, and I want you to come pray with one of these folks down front. That's all. Just so they can pray with you, and you take a step for Jesus. On the count of three, no one looking around. One, two, three. Come right now. Just come. Just come. The rest of you, I'm speaking to you right now. God bless you for coming. Anyone else? Just come. If God spoke to your heart, come. The rest of you, I'm speaking to you real quick. Honestly, with every head bowed and every eye closed, have you not been doing so good at speaking life? Mark, that's me. Just lift your hand up. I don't speak life like I should. Lift your hand up. Come on, just acknowledge that before God. Hands are going up all over the room. We all fail there. Here's what I want you to do today. When I ask you to stand to your feet, I'm going to stand down front. And all I want you to do, all I want you to do is come and shake my hand and turn around and walk back to your seat. All you're saying by doing that is today I take one step, one step in faith to live for God, to speak life. And by taking a step in here today, you're saying to the enemy that he has no control over your life. Because it's easy to just sit there. Every week I have people call me and say, man, I really wish I'd have come down today, Mark, but that's not me. I'm scared to do that. Can I tell you something? You are the very one that needs to get up today because you may set off revival in your home and in this church and in your community. So when I say stand, don't debate it. Don't think about it. If you want to join our church, come today. But do not sit there and do nothing. Let's rejoice together on the count of three. Stand up. One, two, three. Let's